Hi, welcome to the Chariot Tech Chat Tuesday. I'm Ken Rimple, and uh, I'm joined today by Michael Hewlett, who is an engineer at Chariot, uh, who does a lot of uh, iOS and Apple-based application development uh, and architecture. So thank you, Michael, for joining us today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Um, I know we had you on earlier about some accessibility stuff, and I know we mm -hmm. wanted to do some a couple things uh, in addition to that, and just kind of keep the conversation about Apple-based development going. Um, so, you know, the one thing I wanted to do uh, when I reached out to you is to talk about all these new announcements and these new features that have come out um, and even new products that have come out since WWDC 2023. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really glad you're here to talk to me. Um, and you kind of came with a good list, like an inventory of all the things we can, like, you know, chat about that you were paying attention to based on the keynote and based on things you've been paying attention to. Um, so I'd like to kind of dive in and start talking about things with you from a developer perspective. Um, sure. You know, so like obviously there's a lot of like updates to APIs, updates to, to language features. Um, I guess the biggest one is like people are now developing in Swift uh, for the last couple of years, switched over from um, a number of years ago from uh, Objective-C. And there are platforms and APIs based on Swift that have been coming out. So. Why don't we talk a bit about kind of like what's for people who aren't necessarily up to date on it? What is Swift UI, um, and like where has it headed over the last couple of years? Yeah, sure. So if you're not familiar with the uh, Apple development world, uh, Swift UI came out in uh, 2013. Um, I should probably so before that uh, to make apps for iPhones, you had a framework called UIKit. To make apps for Mac, you had a framework called AppKit. To make apps for Apple Watch, you had a framework called WatchKit. It was all this fragmented. You had to know, be specialized in each little individual area uh, in order to make a good app for each individual platform. SwiftUI came out and uh, its sort of goal was to be a good cross-platform UI framework within the Apple ecosystem. So it's not cross-platform in the sense of like, you can make an Android app with it, although it might get there eventually, mm -hmm. uh, but um, you can write the same UI code once and it will run and look good on iPhone, Mac, tvOS, watchOS, uh, Apple's brand new Vision OS supports it. Um, mm. uh, and in addition to that, uh, it is uh, type safe and declarative. So. UI programmers, like think of HTML or CSS, things like that. Uh, UI tends to fit the declarative model fairly well. And so SwiftUI is a DSL that sort of allows you to write UI code for Apple platforms and Apple styles in a sort of declarative kind of way. Um, so it's uh, not necessarily as powerful as the old UI frameworks quite yet, but it's definitely come a long way over the last four years. Um, launched with iOS 13. Um, I'm bad at math. I guess that must have been 20, 2019. Um, uh, iOS 17's so latest year was just uh, just announced. Uh, so yeah, come a long way. Um, it's uh, been uh, it's it's definitely gotten a lot more fun to use in the last couple of years. Um, I think a lot of engineers uh, are still on the fence about whether uh, it's ready to use in production necessarily for their app, but uh, anecdotally. Uh, the project that I'm on right now is Pure Swift UI. The project that was on before this is Pure Swift UI. The company I worked at before Cherry was Pure Swift UI. It's been a good two or three years now since I worked on an app that was uh, mainly UI kit based. So, yeah, been having a good time with it. Okay, so the major changes that they're announcing. Um, so, so is this observables concept here? For example, one of the things is that a new concept for them making things reactive and observable? In UI kit, or is it just, or I'm sorry, in Swift UI, I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. In Swift UI, or has it been doable in other ways and just as like a nicety for the developer to make it easier for them to work with it? Yeah, so Swift UI was designed around the concept of reactivity originally. Um, in fact, when uh, Apple launched Swift UI, they launched alongside another framework they made called Combine. Uh, what Combine does, you can think of it as like, um, if you ever use one of those like Rx frameworks, like Rx Swift yep. or Rx Java, it was kind yep. of supposed to be a first party competitor to that, where you operate on data as a stream of transformations uh, and you can build a pipeline and wire things together like that. So internally, SwiftUI uses uh, combine to react to state changes, pass around bindings, um, manage the environment, things like that. Um, uh, however, Apple seemed to just sort of like abandon combine relatively quickly for some reason. 
Um, but um, uh, the way you would handle this kind of thing in SwiftUI before is each individual view would uh, manage its own state internally. You would mark properties that could affect the views rendering with that state. If you wanted to pass data from one view to another and have it still affect rendering, that'd be a binding. Uh, now, of course, that would be different between value types and reference types. So you would have mm. state and uh, for value types and state object for reference types and same with environment and environment object uh, or even observed objects and things like that. It all got really complicated really fast. Mm. Um, so what um, the new observables in uh, Swift 5.9 are, uh, it makes that a uh, like a language level feature. So rather than Swift UI leveraging combine under the hood and this web of complex technologies that all work together, uh, it's just the language manages it for you. Um, so rather than having to think about what state, what should be a binding, is this a reference type, is this a value type, am I really getting things observed properly? All you need to do is take your model objects, you would uh, come put together with like observable object and that published everything and carefully laid out what's uh what needs to affect the render flow and whatnot um all you got to do is mark the model type as at observable now and swift will just figure out what actually affects your rendering and what doesn't uh and so it'll all just sort of work um that's very cool okay yeah, yeah. that's a nice nice upgrade yeah and likewise when you go back to the view layer you don't have to think about like is is a state value type, reference type, should it be a state object or an observable object? You just have at state, at bindable, and at environment now, which all serve basically the same purpose that at state and at binding and environment and did before, but you don't have to think about value types versus reference types and what's going to affect what. Uh, it's just the language can resolve that, all that for you through the, through the new macro system. Mm -hmm. Okay. Looks like there are a fair number of features in there around scrolling and like making scrolling easier to work with and more performant, right? Yeah. So in the uh, new Swift UI, um, so scrolling scroll views have always been somewhat of a pain in uh, in Swift UI. Mm -hmm. um, in the original version of Swift UI, and for the longest time, all you got was just here's scroll view. Like you can put stuff in it. That's about it. It'll scroll. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but um, uh, in the, uh, in, when I was on here last, talked about accessibility. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things I brought up was that uh, realistically, a scroll view should be towards the root of nearly every view hierarchy because uh, the user could have a different dynamic type setting, uh, turn that all the way up, have a different language which uses longer words. Um, nearly every screen will eventually overflow with some kind of setting combination and device combination. Mm -hmm. So you should have a scroll view towards the root of your hierarchy. But before in Swift UI, you would be, it was difficult to create a good user experience that way uh, because if you put something in a scroll view, it's going to scroll. Even if it doesn't overflow on any normal, like the average screen size, you would still get that bouncing effect yeah, whenever, right. whenever you scrolled, which isn't, that's, that, that doesn't look good. That doesn't feel good. You don't expect your content to move around on you when it all, when it all fits. Yeah. Um, so uh, there were lots of weird hacks you could do before to emulate something like that. I think I have um, uh, a uh, like an overflow view that I use in nearly every project, which leverages like three different methods of emulating something like that based on the platform version. But in new Swift UI, that's just a one-line modifier. It's like the scroll bounce behavior dot overflow only or something like that. Um, it's super easy uh you get uh, more access to um uh controlling the indicator and you can like give it padding um what was one of the things that was really interesting was custom transitions on scrolling so uh as i said before when it was, it was just standard scroll view things would get cut off eventually with this mm -hmm. you can actually animate things on and off screen like if you've ever been on apple.com um while they're like launching a interesting new product or something like go to one of their iphone pages or something and scroll down it you get all these wild like animations things going on and off the screen as you mm -hmm. scroll things fading in and out that was just straight up impossible to do in swift ui before or at least incredibly difficult now it's incredibly easy um whole new class of uh interactions are are, are possible through uh through some new animation apis around that it'll be a lot of fun cool cool and also, I see a bunch of stuff for animations too, right? So, 
um, looks like the spring animation is a new way of doing animations. Is that right? Or a, or a mechanism of animation? I don't know enough about animations on iOS. Yeah. So um, before uh, the default uh, animate, so one of the things that always made SwiftUI cool was uh, how it can manage animations in a way that you don't even really have to think about it. Uh, mm -hmm. You just sort of have to put like dot animation uh, on, on your view and whatever other changes are it's going through, like frame layout, that kind of thing, will just sort of like animate naturally and it'll look really pretty. Whereas mm -hmm. that could be a real pain in uh, UI kit and core animation and all that before it. Um, uh, the default animation that you would get when you just do dot animation, I'm not sure if that was ever explicitly defined what it was mm -hmm. before, but um, in uh, iOS 17 or whatever, like the latest platforms. I shouldn't use iOS because SwiftUI runs on anything now, including mm -hmm. Vision OS and all that. Uh, the, with the latest versions of the operating systems that'll come out this fall, uh, the default animation is, is uh, defined to be a, uh, a spring animation uh, in which uh, rather than like, imagine like a linear animation where it's just like straight line or ease and out kind of thing, mm -hmm. um, a spring animation uh, will start uh, a little fast, slow down, and then bounce at the end uh mm -hmm. it looks a lot like apple's standard animations that they'll be using in the operating system forever um the concept of a spring animation has been around since um oh it's got to be a good close to 10 years now in, in in ui kit um but the um api for it was really weird and unintuitive like you would uh have to manage timing through like properties like damping which I'm not a physicist, I'm a programmer. I don't think about it. <laughs> don't make me think about that. Like that. Yeah. Exactly. The right. fact, um, I saw several years ago um, a thread on Twitter where um, the original designer of the Spring Animation API that's been in UIKit forever basically wrote like one of those like notes app apology kind of things. Uh, <laughs> where like, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so the Spring API, the Spring Animation API now like makes sense. You animate, you animate over a specified period of time with oh, perfect, a special, yeah. with a specific amount of bounciness and things like mm -hmm. that. Things that make sense to people who don't have the domain knowledge of how like physics works and things like that. Right. Um, no lepton uh, setting. Right, exactly. <laughs> or whatever the heck, you know. <laughs> and also really cool now is um, animations can have completion handlers. Uh, so you can run code once an animation has finished. Uh, oh, cool. which yeah. was uh, sort of difficult before because the UI kit API had uh, like UI view animate with transition. It had a completion handler with it. And so it got kind of normal uh, to just like do this bit after this animation is done, maybe even trigger a different animation, something like that. But uh, the only way to do that in Swift UI prior to this was like pass around timings throughout your view hierarchy and it would get really weird and hard to manage and hard to follow. So uh, that shouldn't be as difficult anymore, which is really nice. Good, good, good. I also see in here, um, uh, so for example, there's a lot of UI specific things in addition to that, like shaders and stuff. We'll hold off mm -hmm. on that. But but there's now haptics, for example. And I, I kind of want to jump ahead because um, the big, big, big announcement was the one last thing, one more thing announcement, mm -hmm. which was the, the new uh, Apple Vision platform, right? Right. Um, Apple the Vision new headset. Mm-hmm. So I guess some of the things around haptics and things like that, um, I would think some of that is geared towards supporting a user interface where you've got something on your head and you're kind of moving things around, right? So, you know, I'm actually not cool enough to have uh, gotten access to the Apple Vision Pro hardware yet. Very they, few of us would be. In fact, none of us would be. <laughs> they, yeah. they had a uh, like a demo lab at like the physical version of WWDC a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. By the way, we should put a little timestamp on this video right now. As we're recording this, it is yes. June 27th. Uh, <laughs> we're on beta two right now. Um, if you find yeah. bugs and or like wanting them to support your use case or whatever, file feedback right now through the, through the feedback assistant app. Um, because by the time this video is published, I understand we're not gonna publish for a couple of weeks. It'll probably be two or three more betas along. So yeah, but, true, um, true. Yeah, um, <laughs> they, had a, uh, they had a lab for this at, w, at the in-person WWDC. So some like influencers and media people um, and a handful of specific developers got to try it out. They say yeah. that they're going to make a developer kit available in a few months before a launch early next year. 
Um, but anyway, that's all to say. I actually haven't, I don't really know all that much about haptics yet on, uh, because all that I have available to me is the simulator that shipped with Xcode beta two. Um, Oh, there's a simulator for it. Really? Yeah. There's a simulator for it that shipped with beta two of Xcode. Mm -hmm. Um, I think last week, um, uh, I haven't gotten a ton of opportunity to play around with it yet. I understand it's really, really limited as is, and even trying to run it and like, makes the fan turn on on your nice <laughs> M2 MacBook, which well, I the only ne- thinks it would. Yeah, I, I have, I have like, I think it's an M2 Pro MacBook Pro, something uh-huh. like that. I have literally never once heard the fan turn on on this machine. Yeah. In the, like year I've been using it. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of excited to find out if this, if this can do it. Um, oh, so um, I imagine haptics will play some kind of a role on, uh, on that but they have been around in iOS in particular for several years mm-hmm. um, through, this is just one of the, uh, as UIKit and the things like that are very old mature frameworks. UIKit came out with the iPhone OS SDK in 2008. Um, yeah. It's like been the way to develop for iPhone apps. So if the iPhone could do something the way you would get to it is through UIKit. Swift mm-hmm. UI is pretty new. They've been building it up over recent years and this is just an area it hasn't touched yet that now it has access to natively so the way you would have to do with the four is go through all the ui haptic apis um uh but now there's a native way to do it through swift ui which will be really nice now of course haptics are semantic in ios you shouldn't just play them whenever they have meanings and you should only trigger them at times when those meanings are happening that doesn't change but now it's just a one-liner in swift ui instead of having to set up a whole object and configure it and prepare and time all that yourself. Yeah, I get you there. Now, there's a, there's a new API here um, uh, in Swift that's called Swift Data, right? So mm-hmm. core data has been around since Dirt was invented. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so so now this is supposed to be a replacement for core data in some in some circumstances, correct? Yeah, it's supposed for, to be. In, in terms of programming through core data, yeah. Right. It's supposed to be the, the long term, you should use this in Swift instead of core data okay. re- replacement. So core data came about, um, uh, if you, do you remember Next Step from the 1980s? Yeah. Core, yeah, data was, core data was developed by Next Step alongside Objective-C. Um, uh-huh. It's been around before Dirt. Apple. Yeah, before <laughs> Apple bought uh, Next Step. And one of the things that wow. uh, it, it builds, so I said it came out alongside Objective-C, it builds on lots of the concepts uh, that Objective-C made cool. So like Objective-C was one of the first object-oriented programming languages where you pass messages to objects through selectors and things like that, mm-hmm, uh, yeah. heavily inspired by Smalltalk uh, and mm-hmm. languages like that. Um, now, Objective-C is famously very, very dynamic. You can send a message to nil and not crash, and that's perfectly valid. Um, now, the whole reason Swift came about is because reali- like we realize as an industry, that's generally a terrible idea. Uh, <laughs> like, crashes are occasionally appropriate when things are exceptionally wrong. Um, and not having good, in- like, Swift checks for sanity ahead of time so that it's far less likely to crash in the wild. Um, uh, and so... Yeah, so it doesn't data. swallow it as a developer. You don't know why this thing isn't responding. Right, like, right. You at least could get a message saying, I don't know what to do with this thing. Boom, right? Yeah, exactly. Better yet, it hand, uh, you were forced to handle at compile time, mm-hmm. uh, well, what if this thing is nil? What should I right. do then? You can't just accidentally have something be nil and have something not work down the line. You have to know, you are, you, well, you know ahead of time, uh, is this optional? Is this not optional? Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and have to handle the the, the nil case explicitly. Um, and so that didn't map onto core data very well because core data uh, is made to be very dynamic, built on top of the things that made Objective-C cool on the, at the time, which is runtime dynamism and all that, mm-hmm. um, which meant that when you are reading, inserting data in your data model from Swift, anything could be nil and you ended up writing a whole bunch of extra boilerplate code uh which is very frustrating uh it's multi-threading model is very annoying i've never seen anybody just like just do it right first time um uh it's large difficult to manage somewhat nebulous framework to manage data and so when you 
have that as at the core of your app, it can lead to crashes and issues relatively easily. Uh, so Swift data wraps that in a way that is natural in Swift with its ethos. Um, uh, so rather than having to like define a data model ahead of time, for example, prior with core data, it was very common to uh, like define all your entities and all their attributes and relationships and all that and like a configuration file and like data model B is the file extension or whatever, which mm -hmm. by the way is not the same after it's compiled, you got to parse it as a mom D at runtime. Um, that's, that's just all like not stuff that you have to think about anymore. Swift data yeah. will infer that all for you. All you got to do is mark your model classes with at model and then all the store, all the properties are stored properties now. And you can manage those directly with like at attribute and that relationship to set up things like cascading delete rules or uniqueness constraints. Um, but all in all, it's just the Swift that you're used to writing persists easily now uh and there's still a bit cool. of uh like like i said before it, it wraps core data under the hood uh so uh, you still have the concept of things like context and persistent stores um but um those are all just sort of like set up for you by default i think one of the coolest things about it too is it uh, has a uh, very explicit easy migration path from old style core data to new swift data so you can clean up your model layers significantly, uh, get rid of all the weird hacks to transition between different data types uh, that for like coding and storage and things like that. Uh, it's just Swift does it now for you. And it seems like you could like add core, uh, you could add Swift data and slowly migrate it piecemeal if you needed to, to get to the point where you're purely using almost completely Swift data, but you can start with it and opt in and bring things in. It seems like from what you're saying in your, one note here, like use yeah. both in the same app. So that's that's useful. They didn't, they didn't make it like a switch. Well, nope, you have to completely convert and you can't use the old API, which is good. Right, they're designed to coexist, which yeah. makes a lot of sense because you're like, so Swift data, like lots of new things, um, only supports iOS 17, Mac OS mm -hmm. Sonoma, et cetera. So you can't backport right. this to older versions. So if you are like most development shops and support latest minus one or latest minus two, even minus three, it will be several years before you can use Swift oh, data as your, as your number one. Um, right. So if you're going to use it today, you sort of have to have them coexist. So that's raises kind of an interesting point that if you really want to like program to all the new APIs, some of them at least, you will need to be running an app on the most recent OS or the new one that's coming out. Right. But you would have to write a compatibility layer or like support both levels of APIs until that switch is over. So it's not like a simple switch to convert over to the new one until everyone's pretty much off the old ones. But I, I know that the iOS developer or iOS users tend to upgrade more frequently than let's say Android, um, which mm -hmm. you know people stay on their Android OS forever. Um, usually right. if they, they're because the devices don't always support upgrades as easily. Um, so I would think mm -hmm. this is like a couple of versions out, right? Before you're really going to only use Swift data. In the right, right. Like I said, it will most most development shops support like current minus one, current yeah. minus two. Some of the really big ones go for like current minus three, um, yeah. and so for those, it will be that number of years approximately until you can use it as your number one. Of course, if you're building something brand new and mm -hmm. want to set your build target at iOS 17, that's great. I'm very jealous of you. Um, <laughs> Not so but... many people can do that. Yeah, right. Right. All the snazzy apps will do that. But if you're going into business where you have to support the population, it's hard. Yeah. Right. But now, of course, there are um, like in the past, so Swift 5.8 had um, several features where you could natively mark things to be backported to prior um, uh, prior versions of, the, of your target operating system, mm -hmm. uh, which um, I mean, that's cool. It's like uh, like version checks are at the are at the language level, so uh, the compiler can verify all that for you. But not a hundred percent of everything can be net backported, but significant amount of things are. Like the whole observable system, I'm not sure which portions of it depend on platform specific protocols. But in theory, since it's all implemented through the new macro system, that all happens at compile time. So in theory, oh. you can use a lot of that. Um, right on on any on any version you're targeting definitely sounds something like something to research at some point when you're really getting to the point where you're going to use it like there's going to be strategies that people come up with i'm sure um so i'll have to yeah. keep an eye on that 
Okay. Yeah, that's one of the reasons uh, Swift macros are probably one of the things I'm most excited about this year. But mm-hmm. that's uh, that's a uh, we already talked about that some. Yeah. Yeah. So so Apple Vision Pro. So so now we'll talk a little bit more about this. So it's an AR uh, augmented and virtual reality platform. You can kind of fade in or out the real world. You know, bring the screen fully in or like fade it so it's kind of like floating over top of things or even almost transparent. Um, it's a mm-hmm. completely new platform. So. What is your thought about like where this thing is right now? I yeah. mean, it's nowhere yet because it's not released yet, but go ahead. Yeah, so it's not going to go for public release until they say early 2024, the last time Apple Man. launched uh, a new project <laughs> or a Late. new product and said early next year, it was Apple Watch and Apple Watch didn't launch until like end of April of the yeah. following year or whatever. Uh, yeah. So I'm not expecting this for the better part of a year from now. Um, yeah. but, um, developer kits should come out, I mean, this fall, I think that is, is what they're targeting. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, so the concept of spatial computing, um, which is the, what they're, what they're trying to introduce with this sounds really cool on its own. So they ultimately envision this to, uh, be something where like, you don't need a Mac, you don't need an iPhone, you don't need a watch, you don't need all the other fancy stuff. All you need is Vision Pro. This is the future of computing. This is another 1984 Mac moment or 2007 iPhone moment for us kind of thing. Where it is right now, um, I'm not sure. This is not going to be the version that takes them to to that level. Oh, clearly not. No. It is a $3,500 pair of ski goggles. Uh, <laughs> or, or Android uh, glasses, like I am taking over the world. You know, it definitely looks like you're a bionic creature when you put them yeah, on. Yeah. So Google Glass looked cooler in 2013, yes. and <laughs> we saw that one. Yeah. Um, but so so this is very transparently version one. We're launching this right now because we want a thriving ecosystem of third-party developers to make cool apps for this. So later on, when we get the hardware to the point where a normal person might want this, then mm-hmm. there is going to be good support for all the apps they're used to. That's what I think that this first version is supposed to do. Now that said, I also thought Apple Watch Ultra and the whole concept of AirPods were kind of ugly. So yep. I'm literally wearing that right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you have an Ultra? Uh, Did you get an Ultra? I do not currently have an Ultra, yeah. but I very well might get one uh, yeah. this fall. I So I live in uh, Boulder, Colorado. Fun fact, Vision Pro was developed at the Apple office right down the road from me. Um, but um, uh, the so lots of like outdoorsy types around here. When the oh, Apple sure. Watch Ultra launched, I um, uh, like I saw it and I was like, I don't want to wear like the equivalent of an 1800s scuba diving helmet on my wrist all the time. <laughs> but um, with a sat phone built in, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then um, uh, Curtis Herbert, the guy who developed the Slopes app, he won a um, Apple Design Award for that last year. Uh, he organizes the meetup group that uh, that I go to around here every month, and uh, he got one and let me try it on. I was like, so I, I like I looked at it on the road. I was like, huh, this is actually nicer than I imagined it to be. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe I really should get one of these. So I'm still on my old <laughs> Series Five right now, but um, mine's old this, too. Yeah, yeah. Once I once I get the uh, like the mental space to uh, start thinking about developing Watch OS apps in my spare time, I very well might get one in the it's interesting so so i mean with this apple vision pro to, to pull back a little on that i mean there is so much there's so much tech they have to really shake out right and they've never mm-hmm. done any of our vr products so like just getting the usability completely nailed just getting like all those hand gestures debugged and figured out and working perfectly besides for just a demo you know all the all the different features they have i mean i know they probably did a ton of work to get to the point where they could play with it but yeah and they got to make it smaller. They got to make the power better. I mean, two hours on a battery pack is low for yeah. using something that's spoke thirty five hundred bucks. Like I wouldn't buy a thirty five hundred dollar guitar that I can only play for twenty five minutes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do exactly. I do with this thing? Can't. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. But it's great that I think it's great that they're putting it out there, mm-hmm. and they're letting people get that early version as opposed to mm-hmm. hiding it forever till they polish it to a diamond. 
you know? Right, right. So series of thoughts here. First of all, I actually don't think it's fair to say that they've never launched an AR product before. Um, no, that's, rather, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, AR kit has been around for um, several years now. In fact, um, I meant wearable actually, head fo- headset right. thing. Like, right, it's to be like a, a competitor to like whatever sure. the other ones, Steam headset and all the other ones that are yeah, out there. Oculus and all that. Oculus, thank um, you. The Rift, yeah. yeah. The um, and better the, than you know. Yeah, it was actually yeah, sort of going. interesting to um, uh, to see that they've they've actually been launching all of the necessary components for this in other ways in the mm. past several years. Uh, they started development on Vision Pro internally in 2015. It's been an internal wow. product for eight years now. Um, uh, so uh, it's very explicit, like AR kit, reality kit, all of that exists to support Vision Pro and were designed with Vision Pro in mind, even though these launched like before COVID-19 existed, a which long time feels ago. like a lifetime ago now. Yeah. Um, uh, so, um, this has been uh, a long time coming for them. Uh, it's also not, I don't think it's meant to be a competitor to things like Oculus. Uh, it's a whole new class of thing, really. It's a wearable computer. Yeah, exactly. Oculus is very explicitly a gaming platform. And while it is, Apple seems to be trying to court game developers more intensely now, um, for Apple, I think Apple has been in a hardware position in a better position than most windows developers for a long time to make, to to run good games. It's just that they insist on things like metal, uh, and it's outside the realm of where, of what game developers use to make games. And so they just Mm -hmm. never, never ported it over. They're trying to like the new game porting toolkit and all that. They're trying to make that easier now. So I'm really excited to see what games do come out for it. But what I think the, um, uh, so I was at this Apple meetup. The the last meeting of this was so interesting because it was the first time all of the people who have been making Vision Pro for years could talk to us about it in oh. public. Um, so that must have been the fun. coolest meeting. Oh, yeah, it was absolutely it was, it was great. Um, but um, one of the Vision Pro developers um, used the metaphor uh, that uh, it's intended to be headphones for your eyes. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, like I'm talking to you on. Uh, Chrome on my MacBook right now, uh, but I still still see like my messy apartment. There's my cat meowing in the background and all of that. Um, yeah, that's this is all like you like. I don't I don't have to look at that anymore. I can just be in in my own world doing my yeah. work and let the ex- outside world in as much as I want to because it's actually not transparent. Like it renders your eyes on the outside to give a facsimile of your presence to whoever's on the other side, but it is all rendering the outside world on screens and the inside world on another screen out there. It's not actually see-through transparent. You can control what you want to see and don't. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's, uh, the, so uh, from, from that perspective, it sounds like a, uh, like, a, like a pretty interesting whole new concept kind of product, especially with the whole concept of like spatial computing. And if you like, your windows are all around you. Um, yeah. One of one of the things the Apple developers mentioned that I I, I understand you can sort of um, replicate this a little bit in the simulator right now, even though it's just a simulator. But even the audio is all spatial. So like if you put the music app above you and you like have to look up and interact with it, it'll sound like the music is coming from above you. That's um, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's neat stuff. Uh, right. You can turn that off per app uh, if, if you want to. But uh, it's just rendering all the software we build and use every day in yeah. the real world around us. Uh, in a three D place where you can say, "I want my yeah. terminal over here. I want my, you know, calendar over here. I want this here." And exactly, you play if you want to, if you want to put the Twitter app in front of the toilet and leave it there, you can totally do that. That's probably where um, it belongs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Flush um, it. Yeah, wow. <laughs> with a spring yeah. motion. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. well, I mean, so that's amazing to me. Like, I mean, obviously. If you think about like the evolution, it's really much more like a, what Google Glass wanted to be, um, like have that kind of heads up world, but then in a true 3D animated, truly like bring things in and out space um, yeah. with a lot of control. So it's like exactly. it's really closer to that than it is like an Oculus or something, but with the yeah. the physical head set mm-hmm. dimensions of an Oculus, which is kind right. of wild. And I think we'll so. eventually get to the point where it resembles Google Glass. It'll just probably be a decade or so. Oh yeah, now. they got to work on the, the power management. The yeah, video, you know, so so the, that's a lot. The the power management thing. Um, uh, I understand lots of the Apple employees who worked on this internally just 
you leave it plugged in all the time sitting at the desk that's that i think that's the main use case however Mm -hmm. the um the physical like wall power goes through the battery so rather than being plugged in directly to the headset you don't have to swap out the battery in order to do that in fact if you rip out the battery the headset just dies instantly Mm -hmm. um there's no like few seconds where it's like plug the battery back in or you lose everything it just goes black immediately Um, (laughs) but you can disconnect the power cable and the battery is still there you don't have to switch in fact you can actually daisy chain batteries if you um buy multiple one like if you want four hours of battery life buy two batteries and connect them together plug the power cord into that you look um, like Chewie from Star Wars, the bandolier batteries. Yeah, <laughs> <You're exactly. all> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's really wild. So they, yeah. they want you to be able to use this eventually. It's just that there is so much hardware packed into this. There's It, it has more processing power than the Mac Pro they launched alongside it that costs like 50 grand. Um, um, so uh, it's, it's, it's just there's so much processing power that goes into this with all the new ai stuff that it does um uh it just needs more space and more electricity and we're already reaching the limits of moore's law so there's only so far you can go to design around that um they'll figure it out this is not where it's going to end up um it's just where it's starting Um, but it's definitely a great start to i mean it's Mm -hmm. a great start for engineers to create something cool in the coming years knowing that most Apple things are hits eventually. Most. Right, yeah. I mean, like, think about the original iPhone when it launched in 2007. Oh, yeah. It barely had a functioning web browser at the time. And nowadays it has more processing power than my laptop. And um, it blew everyone's mind when it came out. It really mm-hmm. did. I mean, I remember yeah. taking my Palm Pilot or Treo or whatever at the time and going, see ya. I think I had an mm-hmm. AT&T, like, you know, 3G phone. And I'm like, get, get rid of this thing, you know. Um, <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, eventually, yeah, look what we have now. We have supercomputers in our pockets. So it's it's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on it and uh, literally uh, keep two eyes on it. And then, um, you know, see where the uh, the betas go and the hardware SDKs. Hopefully they come up with a, with a, with a, uh, a hardware kit to play with that, you know, that they eventually release for companies like us to, to really play around with down, down the line a year or two from now. Should be interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, but they announced a lot more than that, obviously. So they, they've had, like, revs to all their operating systems. And, uh, you know, I'm looking here, like, you see iOS 17. There are a lot of, like, you know, useful productivity app changes. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the core guts of, like, iOS 17, for example, that that are really, like, built for new types of interfaces or new APIs? So, okay, so developer-focused thing. Uh, so SharePlay got a lot cooler, uh, for example. Uh, so mm-hmm. SharePlay um, is uh, Apple's built-in tech to, like, synchronize experiences across distances. So, like, mm-hmm. say you and your friends want to watch a movie together. The, you, you're in Philadelphia. I'm in Colorado. Um, uh, we could open up. I don't think the Netflix app supports this, but uh, hypothetically, if it did, we could both open up the Netflix app uh, and tap the share play button and decide that we want to watch a movie together and it'll keep our Netflix apps in sync uh, so that we're always watching the same thing at the same point. If you pause it, it pauses on mine also. Um, uh, so there are lots of new interesting APIs around that. Like, for example, with CarPlay, I uh, got share play support. So on the... Um, uh the the day the betas came out um uh i was at a uh like a like a watch party with all the boulder apple developers around here and uh one of them uh drives a lucid air it's a really cool car Um, but yeah it um yeah it got uh it has carplay support and so when he updated his phone to ios 17 uh he got ios 17 carplay because carplay runs through your phone and all that which means he got share play so um (laughs) Uh, uh, you could uh, manage, uh, like you could create like like a like a car wide playlist. So you press the share play button on the car, it brings up the QR code, and everyone in the car can scan it. And now all of our Apple Music's are, uh, we we can make like a collaborative playlist just for whoever's in the car and play through the speakers. So there's new APIs around that that are really That's cool. Uh, the um, uh, AirDrop is really interesting. Now, um, if you remember, do you remember like 10 years ago when the Bump app was popular? Yep, um, I do. Yeah, and then Apple bought that and then nobody ever heard about it again. Yeah. It, seem, it seems like that tech is back now. Um, uh-huh. Like uh, sharing contacts, for example, is as simple, I think they call it name drop. Uh, it's as simple <laughs> as, uh, <laughs> I, uh, it's, it's, it's as simple as bringing your phone close to someone else's. It's like, oh, do you all want to share 
the, uh, your, your contacts with each other. Uh, you can make like a whole poster for when you're, when you're, when you're calling. Uh, they started now, that by the way, with, uh, with the Wi-Fi settings a couple of years back. Do you remember that where like, mm-hmm. if you wanted to connect to someone else's like Wi-Fi hotspot or whatever, you can like touch the phones together. It's like, do you want to connect up? And, and you know, yeah. like the early, early, early version was that, I remember. But it's good to know yeah, that's going like a, contacts. That's good. That's been around for, for a minute. That's where if you, um, if you connect, if you attempt to connect to a Wi-Fi network that mm-hmm. you don't have the password to yet, but someone, someone who is in your contacts and you're in their contacts is nearby, mm-hmm. um, they'll get a notification on their phone that like, yeah, you're trying to connect to this Wi-Fi network. Do you want to share the password with them? And they can mm-hmm. just tap a button. And yes, and then an autofill, and it, yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, uh, Interesting so that that's it, better integrated now for other things. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Right. Um, mm. So sharing and all that uh, works like that. I think the uh, iOS 17 feature I'm most excited about uh, is called Assistive Access. Um, it's a. Um, uh, I understand there will be new APIs for this. I haven't played around with them yet, but they will exist in the near future uh, if they don't already. Um, but, um, the idea is that it is designed for people with cognitive disabilities, uh, who like your standard, uh, like I hired a designer for my iPhone app kind of in- interface, uh, is very well might be too complicated for them to like parse and comprehend properly. Uh, mm-hmm. it's full of like big buttons with pictures, um, uh, just an really like incredibly simple interface. So, um, the, the use case that um, I'm imagining for this and I'm excited about is um, my, uh, my grandma has an iPhone um, and um, uh, she's smart woman. She's getting kind of old and her like, you can, you can tell she's deteriorating a little bit mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but um, uh, side note about her, I found out, so she used to be a professor at Temple. Uh, she oh. just sort of like casually mentioned, like she tells the story where it slowly dawned on me that she was like the third ever user of Fortran. Like she was wild. She was the TA for the guy who made Fortran. No way. Uh, yeah. And then um, now decades later, um, she handed me the TV remote a while ago and asked me what the on button does. Yeah. Um, yeah that happens. I know. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, and uh, two or three years ago, right before COVID-19 became a thing in the United States, um, uh, she was visiting me, and she asked a few things about her computers, and it, I realized she had never heard of Google before. Um, wow. Mm-hmm. So I'm really hoping assistive access will make it easy for her to use her iPhone because she has a lot of difficulty with that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is designed so that um, it shouldn't be hard for her anymore. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about that. For, like large like, touch targets that like it can like debounce things when if you're shaking, for example – um those kind of like for, for people who have a hard time touching and pressing things the right way I yeah the, like, there's some of that in the assistive options but you're saying this is a whole like yeah UI right, so kit like, for that rather than like like look how complicated my home screen is like yeah, i got all these squares these like widgets and stuff that give me different small. notifications all yeah. these little notifications i can Absolutely. scroll forever uh, I can run out of these home screens and end up with this weird app library thing if i scroll yes. the other direction then i get like like all the widgets all at once if i pull down i can get the spotlight search and all the weird complexities with that rather than having all that you just get a vertical scrolling list of like Mm -hmm. icon app name that's it good Um, that's that's good yeah Yeah. for people who really need that that's that's a very good right and so their uh apps can design their interfaces around around that uh and so rather than having all of these complicated things, like every designer out there has their own design system. People think it's a good idea to use material design on iOS for some reason. Wow. Uh, things are just so consi- inconsistent and weird. It's, it yeah. doesn't have to be like that anymore. I'm, I'm really happy about it. Right, right, right. Um, how about uh, anything in like, uh, so I know iPad OS is, it, now it's a separate OS in, because it just mm-hmm. released so many different features for it specifically. It's getting closer in terms of being useful on its own. Uh, I still wish they would give full cursor support for Unix, you know, terminals and things like that, and actually make it really usable that way. But I, it's not going to happen, I don't think, just because they still want to delineate computer versus tablet. But uh, what do you think's coming down the pike on the, on iPad OS specifically that that would be really useful? Do you think? I know I'm so, trying to put you on the spot there, but. 
Yeah, so with iPadOS, um, you're right. It is as essentially like a marketing name for a full yeah. iOS. Um, so lots hardware of, flag on show these features, probably. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so like lots of things that you will be familiar with from iOS. It's just the same on iPadOS. I'm not sure Apple spent a ton of time on it in their in their keynote. Mm -hmm. I think um, like some like of the it. most interesting things were just like, yeah, you can put widgets on your lock screen now. That's yeah. cool. Um, also with Mac OS, um, you can put widgets on your, on your like desktop screen, but they're like mirrored off of your iPhones. So, like your iPhone widgets can be present on your Mac now, which is kind of cool, but that's, that's nice. Yeah. Um, that said, um, I'm a little bit more optimistic than I think you are on where Apple might want to go with, uh, with iPad OS. I'm not sure how the introduction of vision OS, um, complicates mm -hmm. that but like you have been able to build apps on ipad os and ship them to the app store for a year or two now that's what swift playgrounds does um mm -hmm. uh you uh they they launched logic pro and final cut pro on ipad now um yeah. uh, by the so, way i've been using logic pro on ipad it's yeah. freaking great as Amazing. as a very bad musician and <laughs> i mean i can play some things well but i'm not like you know you're not going to see me come up with my next like beats <laughs> right, but yeah. it's got, you know, what they did with that was they actually really enabled the touch interface to be super useful. And in Logic, you would constantly be going into all the, like, the synthesizers and machines and clicking with mm -hmm. a mouse, which is like, mm -hmm. it's great, but it's, uh, it's, I'm on a mouse or a trackpad. And now you can just, like, directly interact with the screen, and um, and it's basically the same. They have yeah, a ton of plugins. It's, it's fantastic. It's been an eternity since I have like done anything music related, used Logic yeah. or anything like that. But when I was, I always like I always did think about like how this would feel a lot nicer on an <gasps> iPad with a with a with a, with a touch kind of UI. GarageBand so has been on iPad for uh, since I was in high school. Yeah. But um, uh, like, and it's good for that purpose. The same thing. Yeah. No, it's good for that purpose. Like you know, scratching out a quick demo or something like that. But right. Yeah. Wow, it literally is. You can transfer the stuff back and forth between the two and. As long Amazing. as you're not using third-party plugins that you can't mount, uh, it's it's wow, mm -hmm. it's wild, yeah. So the, it clearly it has the horsepower to do these things. Oh, absolutely! Um, it uses M1 and M. I, I yeah. modern iPads are M1 and M2 as well, just like the same chips that they put in MacBooks and stuff. Right. Hardware-wise, it totally has the power to. It's just not designed that way. It's meant to be like a like a thing you take on a plane and get yep. work done while you're not in front of a computer. Yeah. Um, which, um, yeah, like I said before, I'm not sure how the Vision Pro landscape will complicate that. I know they will eventually want you to take Vision Pro everywhere. I, I, one of the Apple engineers told me about how um, it's explicitly supported that if you are on uh, like a plane, you can put a, like a UI window, app window, outside your plane's window. Um, <laughs> so, so like, That'd be disturbing. You, you would rather like, see if, you, if you're just passing over the atlantic ocean or something there's nothing out there and you'd rather see the mountains you can, you can just put a picture there it's fine um, you put the twilight zone episode with uh, william shatner being afraid of the gremlins on the plane outside the plane <laughs> that so would be something uh, yeah oh you can totally build that now that'd be so cool I, there, there are I, so i want to i want to figure out a good app idea that i can launch like day one for vision pro and build it but i just haven't had anything that, that, that that's a funny one the closest thing that i've thought of so far is I want my notifications to bust through the wall like a Kool-Aid man. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly like that. <laughs> that would be so great. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think there's a way to hook the system API and force that off and jailbreak a Vision Pro or something, but... Well, um, you could do like the monster from um, Stranger Things peeling away your wall and walking out. Yeah, that'd be wild. <laughs> Great. Yeah, like ants yeah. on the, the new version of ants on your screen, you know, it's oh, yeah, like terrified sure. people with a monster coming at them. So Christian uh, Seelig, the guy who made uh, Apollo, that Reddit had like publicly murdered gruesomely in the past couple weeks. Yes. Um, we, uh, prior to that whole saga, he had also, it started as a feature of Apollo. He had this thing called Pixel Pals, where um, he um, figured out a little layout math for the dynamic island on iPhone 14. So he could render a uh, like a little like pet right above that all the time. That'll be so cool on Vision Pro. Like right. you could just sort of like 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 a like a Tamagotchi from twenty twenty three. Just have like a like a rendered cat. Just you sit your... here on my table. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, right. Exactly. Way more, uh, way more uh, easy to, um, to, to to control than my real cat. Um, oh yeah. Well, the, you can't control a cat. Cats don't respond oh, yeah. to control inputs. Oh. oh yeah, exactly. I can't just tell her to like sit on my desk and be cute for four hours. Would it be amazing, it'd be amazing if the cat went, gotcha, and then did that? You're like, what yeah, kind of cat is this? It's all the benefits of a pet with none of the responsibilities. It's great. Um, <laughs> leave the yeah. food out. Leave the litter box clean and enough mm-hmm. water, and they'll they'll live with you and without you for a couple of days even. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, cool. So, I mean, I know we went through a lot of stuff here, but it's fun to talk and it's fun to check in on where these things are headed. Um, let's check in as you start digging into some of the betas and stuff like that and really like kicking the tires. Yeah, sounds great. I've been using uh, Mac OS 17 on my, um, uh, in a new volume on my personal Mac for a minute. Cool. Had, a, had a good time with that. Um, mm-hmm. Played around with some of the Xcode betas. I think some of the things I'm most excited for and uh, are, are in Xcode of the Xcode update itself. Like it yeah. has uh, like um, integrations with OS log, which you've been using for the past six years, seven years instead of print. Right. Mm. Um, uh, the um, uh, like localization uh, manages it all in a uh, catalog. It's extracted by the compiler and uh, lots of great things updated, managing around that testing. has a bunch of new stuff. that's really cool. Uh, so yeah. Excited to get to play with all of that. Once it gets to the point of uh, getting it being in public beta, I might even install it on my iPhone, see how that goes. So, yeah, uh, it's a little more stable yeah. that you know you can get through it, you know, because I usually do that with the public betas eventually. I'll get to mm-hmm. some version, I'll, I'll put it on my iPhone or something like that. I know it's risky, but so mm-hmm. far I've not been let down by that. So, you know, get a little yeah. bit of a preview. Yeah, the people so. around here who I've talked to said it's, uh, that that did bite the bullet and do it. Um, so said it's been pretty cool so far. I did talked to one guy who um, says that the uh, uh, so full disclosure please judge don't judge me too hard I drive a Tesla no. um, uh, the um, the Tesla app apparently is just totally broken on this like the, no. my, like the <laughs> Tesla app is the key to my car right uh, and it just oh dear. Just, just doesn't work on iOS 17 um, <laughs> so I'm gonna wait until they fix that but uh, I would surely wait yeah exactly <laughs> um, uh, but yeah it'll be uh, be great to check in with you once uh, we get closer to a uh, release candidate awesome michael thank you so much for spending the hours really enjoyed it yeah i enjoyed this too all right good talking man see you yeah see ya bye-bye